Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Monday, May 4th, 2020, you, me, Locked On Dolphins, brought to you by Built Bar, buckle up. We're talking about some misconceptions about the past decade of this organization, this once proud Miami Dolphins organization that is hoping to get back off the uh, quarterback purgatory train, hoping to get off the mediocre bandwagon. Today is the deadline for 2017 NFL draft selections to have their club options exercised or declined uh, for the 2021 season. This is no longer a problem for the Miami Dolphins because they offloaded both former 2017 first-round picks they had on the roster before the weekend, cutting Taco Charlton outright and trading Charles Harris for 2021 seventh round selection. But the news of the trade of Charles Harris and the deadline has prompted some added conversation about why the Dolphins are in the spot that they are in. You know, and it's it's easy to apply hindsight in 2020 to look back over the draft classes that the Dolphins have had and point to other players and say, well, yeah, they should have picked him instead. That's a no-brainer. But you could do that with literally every team across the league, every single draft class. So I want to talk about calibrating expectations for NFL drafts, how we can apply that to the Miami Dolphins 2020 NFL draft class, and why the Dolphins have struggled to this point over the course of the past decade, what the biggest catalyst was and what are popular red herrings for those struggles. Also, special crossover opportunities this week. Uh, we are going to be working with some of the other Locked On hosts to talk about some of the teams in honor of the schedule release this week, talking with some of the teams that are going to be on the Dolphins' schedules this past or this upcoming year, uh, just to kind of touch base, see where they're at as a franchise, and uh, kind of get a grasp on what the expectations are with each one of those programs. Uh, so we're going to be getting into that, uh, not just today, but throughout the course of this week as well. So plenty of stuff to get into. Let's dig in. Let's take a look at some of these former Dolphins draft classes, because... That was the popular thing over the weekend is, oh, you know, Dolphins first round draft picks since 2013, uh, who made second contracts, Devontae Parker, and that's it, so on and so forth. And yes, but there's a bigger problem at hand that has been a catalyst as to why that is. Um, and let's talk about first or draft classes in general and what the expectation should be. Um, the Miami Dolphins have had a volume problem in the NFL draft. Uh, so 2019, for example, they made six picks. They made one in the first two rounds. 
the last time for you to go back to the Dolphins having multiple picks between the first and second round combined, do you know how far back you have to go? I'm still scrolling. I got the cue right here. 2009 is the last time the Dolphins have had three picks within the top 64 selections. That's a problem. That in itself is more of a problem than drafting Jawan James uh, with a top 20 pick in 2014 and then not extending him to play in a second contract. The draft is a numbers game. And quite frankly, you look through who the Dolphins have drafted since you know 2013 was the popular metric. First and foremost, because it's convenient to admit the year that the Dolphins drafted a seven-year starting quarterback, Olivier Vernon in the third round, and Lamar Miller in the fourth round of the same draft class. Those three guys, in addition to Michael Agnew, yuck, and Jonathan Martin, yuck, in the top 100. If you're walking away from any draft class that you secure and you have two and a half starters, you've won. You've won the draft on any given year. The expectations will be more than that for the Dolphins in 2020 because of the volume that they have. But like 2013, Deion Jordan, yes, was a terrible pick. Should not have traded up. It was a bad draft in general. You go back and look at that 2013 draft class. Not a lot of depth of quality talent. Should have drafted Lane Johnson. Yes. Would the Dolphins have developed Lane Johnson the same way he developed in Philadelphia? That's a different conversation and is what makes it so hard to apply the the 2020 hindsight to a lot of players because Lane Johnson coming out was a bit of a development of tackle. Uh, That 2013 class was a stinker. You look through Deion Jordan, Jamar Taylor, Dallas Thomas, Will Davis, Jelani Jenkins, Deion Sims, Mike Gillisley, Caleb Sturgis, Don Jones. That's a draft class. Yeah, it's a bad class. 2014, Juwan James, Jarvis Landry, Billy Turner, Walt Akins, and then you got late-round guys, guys outside the top four rounds. Akins was with the Dolphins for 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six years for a fourth-round pick, core special teams player. That's a hit. Say what you will about Billy Turner, Dolphins couldn't develop offensive linemen to save their lives in that time frame. Billy at least went to Denver and had some success, went to Green Bay and is a starter still now. We're going to sit here and pretend that Jarvis Landry isn't good? 564 receptions, 6,100 receiving yards, and 32 touchdowns? But because he didn't stay with the Dolphins long-term because Adam Gase had a problem with his, his personality and they didn't want to pay him? Juwan James, they didn't want to pay because of durability questions, but when he was on the field, he was pretty solid in pass protection, is really good in the run game. 2015, Devontae Parker, Jordan Phillips, Jameel Douglas, Bobby McCain, Jay Ajayi. You stole Bobby McCain in the fifth round. Jay Ajayi's body broke down, but that's the, that's what you expect with day three running backs and guys that have two ACL tears. He was good when he was on the field for Miami before it was time to go because, again, Adam Gase had a problem with him. Devontae Parker had the big breakout year. This past year, thank goodness. Jordan Phillips is a competent player. He had nine sacks last year, but don't let that sneak you into thinking he's like a plus starter. 
but he's a competent defensive lineman, and he's a lot better than what he had the chance to show in Miami. And he was cut because Adam Gase had a problem with him. 2016, Laramie Tunsil, Xavier Howard, Kenyon Drake, Leonte Carew, the bugaboo for all of us, Jakeem Grant, uh, and then Jordan Lucas, Brandon Dowdy, Thomas Duarte. Tunsil, are we going to sit here and pretend Tunsil isn't good? We're going to pretend Xavier Howard isn't good if it's uh, health is able to keep him on the field? Kenyon Drake in the third round is a fine pick. The Dolphins could never maximize his talent. But are we going to pretend he wasn't physically talented? Jakeem Grant, return specialist, wide receiver depth, got a second contract. 2017, Charles Harris, Raquan McMillan, Cordray Tankersley, Isaac Asiata, Devon Godshall, Vincent Taylor, Isaiah Ford. Harris, stinker. No question. Should not have been the pick. Worst pick of the Chris Greer era. Raquan McMillan's a hit in the second round. Cordae Trankersley looked promising again, a knee injury. Knocked him out in 2018. He couldn't see the field at all in 2019. Probably not going to make the team with all the, the corners the Dolphins brought in. Isaac Asiata, fifth round pick. Can't really call a fifth round pick at 164 a bust if he doesn't work out. Those are lottery tickets and scratch-offs. But when you turn around and you get a, a fifth-round pick in Devon Gonchow, 178, that scratch-off just won you two 2000 bucks. for an analogy that makes sense. Really good starting-caliber defensive tackle at the pro level in the fifth round. So Raekwon McMillan, Devon Gonchow, and then you got Isaiah Ford as a practice squad, kind of a wide receiver depth guy. You look through these draft classes – there's talent. The Dolphins have drafted talent. The Dolphins have been unable to make the most of their talent. And that is a problem and brings us to the core issue the Dolphins have had. It's not like, oh, well, the Dolphins haven't had any first-round picks make a second contract other than Devontae Parker since 2013. They don't draft well. Well, they draft about average. They have not had volume of high picks. They have made bad coaching hires up until Brian Flores. And there has been so much turmoil and infighting in this organization that there's constant, there has been constant upheaval, which then results in scheme changes and players don't fit or new coaches come in and want their own guys and guys walk out the door. That's been the problem for the Dolphins. It's been high volumes of high picks. And the turmoil and instability of the organization. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's been the problem with Miami. Not, well, they haven't drafted well. They haven't had guys that get second contracts. Before we go any further, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Built Bar. Uh, Built Bar, a new friend of the podcast that we have here. And if you like candy bars, but you don't like the calories that come with candy bars... I would highly encourage you to try Built Bar. Built Bar sent us, the, the Locked On Network guys and gals, uh, these sample boxes. And I was expecting to dig into this Built Bar and get a uh, typical protein bar, gnawing on a rock or a piece of leather. And I actually got like biting into a Milky Way. <laughs> and if you name a flavor of a dessert, they probably have a bar for it. These things are awesome. They're easy to chew. They're super light. You're talking 110, 140 calories a piece. 
If you are looking for a new protein bar, or if you want to try something new, try Built Bar. We have an opportunity for you guys who listen to the show. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. So let's talk about expectations for 2020 NFL Draft Class for the Miami Dolphins. The problem with Miami has been a lack of high-volume draft capital. So if I asked you how far back you had to go, like let's say top 70, because the Dolphins had six picks in the top 70, do you know how many years back you have to go to get the number of top 70 picks that the Dolphins had this year? Let's play the game. 2019, they had one, Christian Wilkins. 2018, they had two, Minka Fitzpatrick and Mike Isecki. 2017, they had two, Charles Harris and Raekwon McMillan. 2016, they had two more in Laramie Tunsil and Xavier Howard. So that's seven. You have to go back to 2016, 17, 18, and 19 combined to get the amount of top 70 selections that the Dolphins had this year. And the players they picked were Christian Wilkins, Minka Fitzpatrick, Mike Gusecki, Charles Harris, Raekwon McMillan, Laramie Tunsil, and Xavier Howard. Six of those seven football players are good. And we knew Charles Harris was bad before he was picked. Never again, never mind. People are going to say, oh, well, Dolphins picked Minka Fitzpatrick in the first round of 2018. And... He's not, he didn't get a second contract with the Dolphins. It was a bad pick. No, it wasn't. It was not. Minka moving on is a byproduct of the poor organizational structure and what had to be done to fix it. We had to bring in Brian Flores. We had to tear down this roster to open up the cap space to stockpile the picks that the Dolphins have not had that you need four draft classes worth of picks to equal what the Dolphins had in one young, rebuilding football team. But I say all that to say this. People are going to look at the Dolphins draft class and they say, well, they had three first-round picks, they had six in the top 70, uh, you know, how many Hall of Famers should, you know, is, if Austin Jackson and Tua aren't Hall of Fame players, you know, did we, did we miss the mark? You know, how many Pro Bowl players... Let me provide some appreciation here. Tampa Bay Buccaneers 1995 draft class. Generally considered an all-time great. Why? Because they picked Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks in the same class. And both those guys are like first ballot Hall of Famers. If I read the names of the rest of their draft class, you would know who none of them are. That included pick at 43 in Melvin Johnson, defensive back from Kentucky. Anybody know who Melvin Johnson from Kentucky is, drafted in 95? What about Jerry Wilson from Saginaw Valley State? Or Clifton Abraham from Florida State? Or Wardell Rouse from Clemson? It's an all-time great draft class because you hit two first ballot Hall of Famers with your first two picks, both first-round picks, by the way. Even like 1983 Miami Dolphins draft class had three pro bowl, four pro bowlers in it. Dan Marino, Reggie Roby, the punter, 
Mark Clayton, who was drafted in the eighth round, and Anthony Carter, wide receiver from Michigan, drafted in the twelfth round. He didn't make the roster that year, by the way. So three Dolphins Pro Bowlers, Marino, Roby, and Clayton, from an all-time great Dolphins draft class. New Orleans Saints, 2017. This draft class is like the gold standard right now because they got Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Alex Anzalone. That is like a franchise-altering draft. And that only comes around like once every few years. In a perfect world, yes, the Dolphins just had that draft class. But going in, you can't expect that to be the end result. You have to have optimism. You, you have to trust the coaching staff. They're going to put the players in the best position to be successful. You have to acknowledge that Austin Jackson and Noah Igbahogany, uh, they are players that are going to require uh, some development. You do have to realize Robert Hunt might end up being a guard, even if they're going to try and try him at right tackle to start. you got to understand Raekwon Davis has plateaued as a pass rusher, and he might be a one-gap penetration, speed rush kind of guy, collapse the pocket. But he might also just be another really good rotational defender, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want the expectations to get too high because like, that's setting yourselves up for failure. It's like before the draft when it's marrying yourself to a single prospect being the only acceptable outcome for the Dolphins. Now, you have to view these players from the scope of what they are, view their ceilings, view their floors, and understand that draft classes that bring in three Hall of Famers in the same shot don't happen. And when they do happen, it's an all-time thing. And it could be an all-time franchise-altering direction. And what we should rather be looking at for the Dolphins draft class is volume, picks by volume, understanding there's going to be variability with how these guys assimilate to the pros. If you fix the offensive line, you've won. That may require over-investment, right? Because ideally, you had Michael Dieter at pick 78 last year. Oh, by the way, we counted up Dolphins' top 70 picks. Uh, you also had Jerome Baker at pick 73, Kenyon Drake at pick 73, and Michael Dieter as a potential guy down the road at pick 78. But yes, in a perfect world, uh, you wouldn't have to overinvest in the offensive line the way that the Dolphins just did with Solomon Kindly and Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, and Austin Jackson when signing Ted Karras and Eric Flowers. But there's going to be variability. There's going to be hits and misses. And operating with that understanding and not expecting the Dolphins to knock every single pick in the top 70 of this draft class out of the park and turn them all into plus starters, I think that's a necessary conversation for us to have because we don't know how these players are going to play until they play at the pro level. Hopefully they got the quarterback right, because if you get the quarterback right, so much more becomes easy. It becomes so much easier because a good quarterback, nay, a great quarterback, can mask a lot of issues on your team. And if that's what Tua Tungavailoa is going to be for the Dolphins, then we've won. And everything else we get from here is gravy train, right? But uh, I do think it's important for us to understand that the Dolphins, they have missed on... Good players in the draft over the course of the past decade, but every team has. 
their issues are more rooted in failures in organization with getting everybody on the same page, making poor hires, ineffective management from when you make changes, getting the changes to be wholesale so that everybody can be on the same page. And they thankfully, it seems as though they avoided that by giving Chris Greer unimpeded control of football operations in 2019 when they gave him total control and didn't side saddle him to be sidecar with Mike Tannenbaum. And they let him pick his coach of choice. And these two guys have a collaborative effort. That is a huge change. And it is going to reap massive benefits for the Dolphins and their draft classes and retaining talent so much more than just, we'll pick better players because the Dolphins have picked good players. And guess what? They still don't make the roster for second contracts because of the way the salary cap was structured. They couldn't afford to pay them. Yet coaching staffs, new coaches coming in here who wanted their own guys and were booting good talent to the curb because it was easier to get rid of them than it was. And yet, despite having good talent and kicking it to the curb, they had six top 70 picks in the last four years combined. Make sense of it. You can. That's what the Dolphins' problem has been. Not, well, you go back to 2013, nobody made second contract other than Devontae Parker, so they haven't drafted well. It's not that simple. There's more problems at play. There's more variables at play. And the Dolphins right now have those problems fixed. And for that, we need to be thankful and we need to be excited. Without any further ado, let's check in with Locked On Cardinals in the Locked On Network's ultimate crossover series, meeting with some of the teams that the Dolphins will be scheduled to play throughout the course of the 2020 season. It's Locked On Cardinals, Locked On Dolphins, special Locked On crossover series, division series. Uh, It continues here. We did it uh, across the NFC West a couple months ago. That was fun. Now we start to ramp up for the 2020 season. Looking forward to that. Whenever it comes down, it's going to be exciting in the Arizona Cardinals. We don't know when the games are going to happen, but we certainly know who the opponents are going to be, and the Arizona Cardinals are going to take on the AFC East this year and across division rival. You've got the Dolphins joining us and our host, Kyle Krabs, who you may not know this. I mentioned it during the times when we were talking about his spectacular mock drafts, but uh, he has provided a lot of content for Locked On Cardinals this offseason. Kyle Krabs, of course, Locked On Dolphins joins us. Also, thedraftnetwork.com. Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, Bo. Uh, the, the aftermath of the draft, the dust has kind of settled. So this is a fun time for everybody to, you know, months and months of speculation, right? We, we finally have the answers as far as what direction the team uh, decided to go. Really surprised first and foremost with Arizona, with Isaiah Simmons. I think that's such a fun fit for you guys. And, and uh, Simmons being a, a chess piece defender who uh, Brian Flores was commonly linked to, obviously their their issues at quarterback took precedent. But I think you're going to get so much out of him, and I'm excited to see how they choose to use him. Yeah, it's you know it's one of those things where we, we heard from Vance Joseph, who had some time. He was the DC down there in Miami, mm-hmm. and his last successful stint probably in the NFL outside of a failed co- head coaching position. And then last year was uh, it was pretty trying for Vance Joseph here in his first season as the Cardinals defensive coordinator. But it'll be interesting his comments, how he said he's going to primarily use Simmons as a linebacker and then kind of backtracked those comments and uh, said, okay, yeah, we are going to use him like 
he was used at Clemson. We want Isaiah to be Isaiah. So we'll see. I mean, it's so early. It was April when he said those comments. And, and we'll see once the players actually do hit the field uh, what it's going to look like. And I'm sure that's going to change. I kind of said it. it's just like Kyler Murray at the quarterback position. We didn't know how his game was going to translate from the college to the pro uh, level. And it was just one of those things where it was fluid. And I think the same is going to be said for Isaiah Simmons. They're the type of athletes where it's not going to matter. They're going to figure it out and they're going to make an impact regardless. But uh, I mean, you said it there. You kind of jumped the gun a little bit on my first question because of your insight on the draft. But I'm looking at the Dolphins draft and I'm very impressed with that as well. They fulfilled a ton of needs. And here we sit as this podcast is being recorded May 4th uh, without the schedule being released. If the Cardinals play let's say the Miami Dolphins of the first quarter of the season, it's got to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback, right? Not to it in your opinion. Yeah. I, I think the Dolphins will handle with care. Everything that they've talked about has been more long-term view and understanding they, they want to be competitive, but they want to uh, build a long-term winner first and foremost. And Fitzpatrick having the sweat equity that he does with the coaching staff and the, the, players that will be remaining on the roster, although you're probably looking at 50% turnover for the roster for the second consecutive season, uh, which is a testament of how much work this this new rebuild had in front of them. Uh, Fitzpatrick, for sure, the first quarter of the season, I would be really surprised if we got through the first half and he was still not starting because coaching staff fell in love with him last year and, and he really helped elevate the play of those around him. And with so many new pieces, uh, kind of a steady hand, I think, is going to be the the decision they prioritize at the quarterback position. Yeah, and that's interesting that you say that because we're looking at a pair of five win teams from 2020, Kyle, and it's they they both had pretty spectacular off seasons. And you know, Patrick Peterson, the Cardinals' talented cornerback, said on social media, I think it was last week, said, and and he was right by saying this: is championships aren't won on paper because. As many times as we see these teams go from sub 500, we see the jump like the Niners made from 2018 to 2019, where they're kind of a worst to first scenario. That there's as many of those situations happen. There's also the Cleveland Browns of last year. There's also the uh, proclaimed dream team for the Philadelphia Eagles that kind of fall flat on their face. And what, what do you think it's going to take between either the Cardinals and the Dolphins to kind of avoid that fate? Or or what are you looking for? What are the expectations now for the Fins in 2020 after this, this offseason? I, I think progress is the number one name of the game for Miami. And I think realistically, you knew they weren't going to check all the boxes because of the, the aggressive teardown that they had last year. They, they understand you can't possibly fill every need. And that's why I really appreciate what Miami did decide to do as far as the offensive line. They signed two potential starters in free agency between Eric Flowers and Ted Karras. And then they went out and half of their first seven draft picks were offensive linemen and and really choosing to uh, invest in an offensive line for a franchise that hasn't had the opportunity uh, to have stability and good offensive line play for like the better course of a decade and boy, I look at the Cardinals, and that's a fascinating kind of discrepancy between these two teams, in my opinion, where I look at you know young franchise quarterbacks with both teams, and Kyler Murray had the great year that he had this past year, and uh, Cliff Kingsbury's play style and Kyler's play style. There's a, more and more teams that you see that, that seem to think if we go spread and quick passing game, 
And we don't need a bunch of studs up front. And I think it's interesting that the Dolphins are adopting a, a different philosophy, one with the durability questions with Tua, but also it seems like what they're going to try and do is replicate so much of what Alabama's offense did as far as power run game downhill and RPO stuff. So sure. I think that's a fun layer between these two teams in that they're both trying to accomplish the same thing and are generally speaking in the same area of their life cycle. But if you just looked at like one of the core identifying units on both of these football teams, you're seeing two very different philosophies playing out, which is fun. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, as much as they're the same, they're so different. And uh, like we said, the the wins in 2019 were right there. It'll be interesting to see which team and which philosophy possibly makes the jump in 2020. But it is, it's a defensive-minded head coach versus a very offensive-minded. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's Brian <laughs> Flores, who came from the D.C. background up there in New England. I remember Flores was on the, the Cardinals shortlist the first time after Bruce Arians retired. They, uh, they looked into this unknown Brian Flores. He was the linebackers coach there at that time. And we're like, who is, is this? Was Brian Flores created in a lab in New England by Bill Belichick? It, like there was, his Wikipedia page was so short at that point. We knew nothing about the guy. And then we see last year and it really seemed like the Dolphins in that locker room rallied around him. And in a similar fashion, it happened out here in the desert. But you're exactly right. I, I don't know. If going with basically the status quo, and, and I know you know about Josh Jones, the third round pick out of Houston, mm-hmm. who slipped the 72nd overall, which was kind of head scratching despite you know the technique flaws that he had, but he had a fantastic year at Houston. I don't know if if moving forward with the status quo offensive line that relinquished 50 sacks is ever a good idea. But with Kyler Murray coming back, having a better grasp of the offense in his sophomore season. Um, and with, I guess they're really going to roll the dice to see if a guy like Marcus Gilbert can stay healthy at the right tackle position and the depth that Jones adds potentially to play either tackle position. Cause DJ Humphreys, despite playing 16 games last season at the left tackle position, he hasn't been healthy his entire career. He's signed the extension this year. So it, it's, it's a big gamble, but when they were where their cap was, and as far as their draft assets were concerned, I think it was just something Kime wanted to roll the dice, and he thought that Kingsbury's offense and how quick they want to get the ball out, and if you look at those 50 sacks, how many were on Kyler Murray being a rookie quarterback shoulders just holding onto the ball a little bit too long? Can you cut that in, in a quarter? Can you cut that in half? Because then that's a completely different ball game. I, I think that they're going to try to roll like that, even though I'm more in a traditional mindset that uh, what the Dolphins are doing and building – both sides of the football they're they're up front in the trenches that's the way to be successful well i think it's you're giving dolphins fans ptsd because we think about the ryan Tannehill era specifically and it was like piecemealed offensive line and they'd sign some 32 year old over the hill guy to come in and play like the one weakest spot on the line but other than that they'd leave everything exactly the same and they would try and make Ryan into something that he was not, and he ended up eating a ton of sacks. So that's the big learning curve. As I look at Arizona, you know, it can work. And you you see places where it has worked to not value interior offensive linemen specifically. Uh, And Kyler has all the tools to make that work. But as you said, evolving his play style and, and speeding up that process and learning when to take your wins and losses was something Ryan Tannehill never did. And he, he held the ball way too long. And if the first read wasn't there, he was slow to come off of it. 
you know, so there's different strengths and weaknesses between Kyler and Ryan, but it's just fun to hear, you know, with a head coach that showed some really nice things offensively, especially as we got into the back half of the year with Cliff in Arizona, uh, this philosophy has been something that has burned the Dolphins so badly, but it comes back to, did you have the right quarterback in place and did you have the right head coach in place? So if Arizona has those two things, as you said, even though it might not necessarily be the philosophy uh, you would ideally adopt for yourself, doesn't mean it won't work. That is going to do it for us here today on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I know I keep promising these rookie profiles, but the the 2017 uh, deadline kind of prompted this storyline to roll up on us over the weekend. And I thought it was important with the deadline being today to talk while this is relevant about uh, the perception of the Dolphins in drafting and, and why they've been a problem organization and putting some context on while, yes, you would, with hindsight, like them to pick different players at certain spots throughout the draft, their problems extend well beyond just, oh, they can't pick good players because they pick good players. Look forward to tomorrow. Power to the pod. We're going to have a great time. You guys get to decide what we talk about. So make sure you submit those questions. iTunes reviews through Twitter have had 75 each of the last two weeks. So look forward to seeing what you guys are able to cook up for us to talk about tomorrow on Locked on Dolphins.